What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I'm joined by Taylor, founder of MyNode, where you can find him at MyNodeBTC on Twitter and MyNodeBTC.com. MyNode aims to be the easiest way to run a dedicated, easy-to-use Bitcoin node and Lightning wallet. It combines the best open-source software with our, with their UI management and monitoring software, and you can easily, safely, and securely use Bitcoin and Lightning. I talk with Taylor on various topics about his Bitcoin story and how he got into Bitcoin, how he found Node or my Node, and uh, everything else. We get into Bitcoin Miami, CPI, uh, Tesla, Block, Blockstream, teaming up for Bitcoin mining, Janet Yellen explaining Bitcoin. Brazil gearing up for Bitcoin bill approval. Mexico's pro-Bitcoin candidate introducing a bill for CBDC and much, much more. But first, and as always, everything you hear here in this podcast is not financial advice and should not be taken as financial advice. So now let's get into the podcast. All right, we are live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. I am here with Taylor, the fi- the founder of MyNode, at MyNodeBTC on Twitter. Taylor, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, whenever I get to talk to a fellow Bitcoiner, I really enjoy it. So uh, thanks for coming on and thanks for your time tonight. Um, yep. So let's... Let's get into it. So how did you find Bitcoin? And tell me a little bit about your orange pill story. Yeah, so um, I don't remember <clears throat> exactly when it was, but it, I mean, it was a number of years ago. And my background had always been in computer science. And um, like I was interested in programming and building things on a computer growing up just because it was, you know, um, I like building things and it was something that I could do and I didn't need um, hardware or like resources or whatever. Like I could just build something on my computer, right? So that was really cool. And, and I've been doing that. And then as I started to get a little bit older, I was in, interested in, um, you know, finances and investing in the stock market and stuff like that. So one day um, I, I kind of heard about Bitcoin and I was like, wait, that's like an awesome intersection of like my two favorite hobbies and things I want to do. Right. It's 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 computer science on one hand and using that to solve financial problems um, and, you know, preventing censorship and, you know, sort of with the, my political perspectives, it just fit really, really nicely with sort of um, like all of my interests and things, things that I want to do. So, um, so I, I don't know, I downloaded it and I, I tinkered with it. And then I just started kind of reading, you know, the Bitcoin talk forums and stuff. And then eventually I was, I was kind of into it. So yeah, it was, um, I don't know, it, it's been my hobby and sort of my, uh, one of my jobs now. So I don't know, I, I like it a lot. That's awesome. So, um, you know, it seems like you got like an interesting kind of tech background when it comes to Bitcoin. Um, so did you ever, you know, dabble into any of the, uh, I guess, the shit coins or anything like that? Or have you just kind of stayed in Bitcoin through and through? No, um, I, basically, it, it's, it's always been Bitcoin. Um, I mean, I, er, early on, like a long time ago, like people were a little bit interested in some of them, like, you know, Litecoin had come out and people were like, Oh, like you can tweak it. And eventually they realized you can fork them. And okay. There were, there were a few early on. And then I guess it was what 2017 or whatever, when, you know, people were forking Bitcoin constantly. And so, no, I mean, all I basically ever did was go, you know, dump some of the forks so that I could get more Bitcoin. And then at one point, I think I had like a little bit of Ethereum or something, but I don't anymore. It, it's basically Bitcoin only. I gotcha. So now, yeah, we've, we kind of, I kind of introduced you with my node at the beginning, but um, we were talking a little bit previously before we, we went live about the differences between uh, proof of stake and proof of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you get into that and we'll get into, I guess, the importance of, uh, you know, the, the running your own node. Yeah. So um, I, I think, well, let me give a little bit of background of how I started uh, building my node and what, where that came from initially. So you, you, you'd mentioned, you know, shit coins and altcoins and all those other that just that garbage. Well, a lot of the advantages of those were that people would try and make Bitcoin, you know, faster or, you know, allow more transactions and things like that. And so the Bitcoin solution to that had been multiple layers, which seemed like one, a better design, 
um, because, you know, scaling on chain just doesn't seem like it, it would ever be feasible in any way possible. If you think about the resources needed to run a node now, you want it to stay decentralized. So you can't require too many resources. Like you, you can't have, you know, gigabyte sized blocks. It's just ridiculous. Um, because no normal person outside of a data center, you know, huge company data center, tons of resources would ever be able to run a node. So I, I think to make sure a cryptocurrency stays decentralized, it needs to be easy to run a node. And um, Bitcoin is is probably the easiest of the cryptocurrencies to uh, be able to do that. And so I, I wanted to start looking into uh, the Lightning Network and look at the, the layered scaling solutions. Um, because it's real simple to go like make your block size massive and say, look, we scale when in reality you don't. If you ever got too many users, the whole network's going to fall apart. And you're seeing that with like Bitcoin Cash and BSV and all that other garbage. It's just it's falling apart. So um, I, I started tinkering with Lightning and I was like, this is pretty cool. It was really new at the time. I think it was 20, maybe winter of 2018 going into 2019. I was just kind of tinkering around with stuff in a, a I, I built, I got a node up and running myself and I was like, this is really cool. Let's see if I can like start sharing this with people. Um, and so I, I worked for a while to, you know, make it and package it in a way that other people could use it. And I figured, you know, maybe it'll turn into a small business. And if not, you know, people will at least benefit from it and it'll be pretty cool. And so that, that's kind of the track it's gone. It's gotten, um, I think, bigger than I ever expected back then. And so it's really exciting to have watched it grow and to see the, the user base grow over time. Um, and, you know, just being part of this, the, the Bitcoin community and the people, you know, running nodes and using the Lightning Network and trying to keep building that sort of layered stack of Bitcoin to, to keep going is it's a it's a really good group of people to be uh, part of. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that the Bitcoin community is, is pretty special on its own. It, it seems like a lot of people, you know, just kind of come together. And like you said, they 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 build something not necessarily with the full intention of making you know a ton of profit they just think like you know it's going to help somebody out or, or help the bitcoin network out which is it seems like that's kind of along the lines of why you started my node um mm -hmm. so let's get into my node so you know from my understanding it's uh you know both hardware and software that kind of allows you to have you know your own bitcoin node and lightning wallet all in one uh, you know, you, you got a nice YouTube video explaining it on your website, which is mynodebtc.com for anybody that at home that wants to you know, go and check it out. Um, but yeah, why don't you get into it, get into your little explanation of the product. And uh, yeah, I, I see that you have like a couple different, um, you know, ones like MyNode 1, MyNode Premium and a community as well. Yeah. So, um, of course, I... I guess this, uh, some of those decisions go back to back in 2019, like the popular Bitcoin node that was going around at the time was the CASA node that a bunch of people ended up getting. And it was based on a Raspberry Pi, but you had to sort of sign up for their like monthly services to get a lightning node, which was sort of kind of separate from their um, multi-sig like core business. And they ended up dropping that after some time, I think, because they saw some alternatives popping up. But um, I, I really like that idea of, of being able to provide that. But I, I wanted to make it a little bit easier to where somebody didn't have to sign up for a multi-sig service to get a, a node. And so I also thought, you know, I don't necessarily want to be in the business of only shipping this to people um, and building them myself and, and not allowing other people to build it, which I think there were a couple other companies at the time that you basically had to go buy an expensive node yourself. And I thought, you know, that would be hard to break into the market. And if... Um, I really wanted to just share it with a bunch of people at the time and, and you know, build a community around it. So um, I knew I wanted there to be a community edition, like a free edition where you can just go use it for free. You don't have to pay anything. And I wanted to include all the core software in there. Like, of course, you know, Bitcoin, Lightning, you know, an Electrum server, they all have to be in the, the free area because those are sort of the most useful parts of it, I think. And so they're all in the community edition. And then because I wanted to allow people to build their own, I want, you know, I needed to give them a path to upgrade from the community edition to the, the premium edition. So I could sort of help, you know, fund all this development effort and support I was doing at the time. Um, and it, uh, it just kind of grew from there. And so I, then I realized, you know, there's a lot of people that do want pre-built options. And so I, I offered the pre-built options as well. And it's kind of interesting to, to look at some of those patterns over time. Like now I'm actually selling more of the pre-built ones. I think a lot of the, the 
tinker people who wanted to build their own. Like they kind of, you know, bought it and got on early. Um, and, and now also with Raspberry Pis and some of the supply chain issues we're seeing, it's very difficult to build your own because it's hard to actually go get a Raspberry Pi device. So I've had to add support for, you know, other like SBCs, the single board computers and other ways to run the mine own software. But my background has been entirely in, in software. I, I don't do hardware design or anything like that, but um, I just need to make sure people are able to, you know, run the software that I care about on devices. And uh, that's been getting, that's been real challenging lately with the, you know, supply chain and, you know, uh, inflation issues that we're seeing, you know, costs are going up and it's really hard to get supplies when you need them. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I guess have the supply chain and uh, inflation issues been kind of hitting you as well? Because I mean, I know that we've kind of had like a chip shortage for, for some mm -hmm. time. So um, have any of those kind of affected your business as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so really in two ways, I just have to spend a whole lot more of my time um, focused on like making sure I have supplies. It used to just be, oh, I need more supplies. Let me go click a button and buy it and it'll get shipped to me in a couple of days. So I never had to spend much time doing that. But now you have to sort of like scour websites to go figure out like where supply is and then buy it in like larger bulk quantities when it is available. Um, and then I, I guess it's it's probably it's inflation. But at the same time, a lot of the, the sort of Raspberry Pi resellers know it's hard to um, find their devices. So they'll raise prices because there's just a huge, huge, huge supply sh shortage. So that's been sort of the biggest cost increase for me. It's been in the like actual device itself. Um, so, you know, I'm always having to look into different options and see what's out there to, to figure out whether or not that that's going to be a, a feasible path long term to continue using that type of device, or do I need to switch to something else? Or um, you kind of have to analyze a lot of that. And but early on, it was, you know, entirely, you know, building software and not having to worry about any of those things. Now there's a lot more concerns. But other than that, the prices haven't gone up extremely high, um, except for like when you have to go buy aftermarket Raspberry Pi type things. So that's... yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it seems like inflation's hitting us, uh, you know, in every every aspect, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit later um, as well. But uh, I mean, other than that, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense to me too that that you're seeing a lot more people wanting the more, I guess, pre-built opposed to the uh, build it your own. Because I think Bitcoin, like you're saying, Bitcoin is getting a little bit more. I, I don't want to say mainstream, but a lot of people are or a lot more people are getting into it that maybe aren't as technical technical as uh maybe yourself or as some other people that got into it early and kind of understood the the deeper technology and and the coding and, and everything that goes into uh bitcoin before and it's more of you know maybe the average joe who's uh you know a bitcoiner and wants to run their own node um and so uh instead of building it that doesn't really interest them it just uh running their own node interests them but just not going through the full process um yeah. so yeah so i mean Go ahead. If I can cut in real quick. Um, yeah, you, you sort of hit the nail on the head right there. Like, I, I think early on, Bitcoin was this software that you could run on your computer. So it attracted, you know, uh, engineers, software people, computer scientists, people interested in cryptography. That was the, the people that it attracted first. And then as it started to grow, I mean, there's a huge number of reasons outside of like, you know, computer science -y type stuff to enjoy Bitcoin. Like, you know, finance people, business people, people accepting payments, people sending payments, like basically everyone interacts with money. And, and there is so much amazing, like open source software out there that's available that helps you interact with Bitcoin in certain ways, or like builds things on top of, you know, the lightning network for chat applications, or like running a storefront with BTC pay server or something like that. There's so much amazing stuff out there that, um, can benefit everyone, but they don't have the background, or even if they do have the background, they might not have the time to go set this up and maintain it and build it and run it themselves. Like it, it can take a lot of time doing that. And so, you know, a, a huge reason I wanted to do this is it enables people who are interested in Bitcoin to have easy access to all of the like awesome software that's out there without having to like go build it and compile it and like learn all, all that stuff themselves because they don't, they don't have time to do that. It, it's incredibly time consuming. So it really opens the door for a lot of those people to access a lot of the, the software that's that's out there and available. Yeah, for sure. 
So, um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, so how have you been, uh, I guess, spreading your Bitcoin knowledge? Do you go around and uh, kind of orange pill people and uh, like kind of explain to them the ins and outs of, of running your node and, and the importance of it? Or uh, I guess, how do you, uh, I guess, orange pill your friends and family or how, how have you done that? So I, I think, I mean, to my like friends and family, I just talk to them about it. And most of them, I've been talking about it so long, you know, they, they eventually get interested and they're finally like, okay, what's this really about? And, um, and so, yeah, they, they all kind of get onboarded and like, I mean, of my friends and other coworkers and stuff, they all know what I do. Um, for other people, I, I don't really run around and, and try and do much orange pilling with like random people. It's mostly, um, I'm, I'm kind of more focused on like, the people running a node and, and people running my software and trying to help them and make sure things are, are, you know, stable. And I'm trying to keep in touch with what the new popular apps are and things to kind of keep building out the number of applications that are available on the platform. Yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's the way to do it. In, in my opinion, I think, uh, you know, in order to orange pill people, uh, at least in my experience, it, it comes with uh, a certain level of trust or, or understanding and, um, you know, they have to, I guess, believe you in, in some sense and not just kind of think that it's some wild Internet money or, or anything like that. So um, I think to, to run up to somebody or a random person on the street and try to orange pill them, it is it is kind of difficult. And that's why I think, you know, meetups are, are very powerful and, and meeting with people in person, um, you know, like minded people can kind of help educate uh, over time is, is good. And uh <clears throat> Sorry, that'll get us into into the next topic. Uh, Bitcoin Miami. So, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been uh, a little under the weather since uh, Bitcoin Miami, but um, it was a big conference that went on. Twenty five thousand people. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, twenty five thousand people, and it was full of Bitcoiners. Um, what was your perspective from an outsider? Just uh, I guess following on Twitter. And everything like that. Did you watch any of the talks or anything? Yeah, I watched a bit of it. Um, and so I, I think, unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend. I need to, you know, make some time to to make it out to one of those conferences. I think that it's it's awesome to just see how big it's getting, and how many you know big players are there. And compared to you know even a few years ago, how many Bitcoin specific companies exist. And then you have you know, speakers like um, Michael Saylor come in and it, I guess the most interesting thing isn't really that um, he, he was there speaking, but just that people from other businesses are now getting so involved in Bitcoin and, and coming to these types of conferences. And um, it, it's, it's just sort of ingraining itself in so many other types of, you know, financial institutions and businesses from accepting the payments to, you know, becoming currencies in El Salvador and, you know, just becoming accepted in so many countries around the world that it, it's really cool to just see how, how big that conference is getting. And it gives you like a one picture of just how, like what sort of diverse group of people and companies and countries that are all getting involved in it. And it, it, that's really awesome to see, you know, where it's gotten to from, you know, five, eight, 10 years ago or whatever, um, when it used to just be sort of like a few people on the internet and they're, there would be a conference in a little city and, you know, 20 people would show up. Right. It, it was really small back then. There wasn't this like big backing of, of like corporations and, and it, it just wasn't as mainstream and it's awesome to see it become more mainstream over time. Yeah, for sure. And I, and this was actually my first, uh, I guess, big conference. I went to uh, the Florida Bitcoin and blockchain conference, which is, you know, just kind of a mix of you know, Bitcoin and, and blockchain. So, a lot of shit coins going around there too. But um, I, the one thing that I was kind of surprised about was there's a lot more, uh, I guess, shit coin talk at this one than, than I anticipated. Um, I think a big issue that we're kind of running into um, as in the Bitcoin space is a lot of these Bitcoin companies um, or like a big influencers, whether it's, you know, Bitcoin magazine, of course, of course um, they're getting, sponsored by these companies that you know have shit coins or offer you know shit coins on the platform so they can't go there and speak bad or say you know this is a bitcoin only conference um so that was the one thing that i thought was uh kind of a negative when it came to it um 
I think I, I wish that, uh, you know, the conference would have been more Bitcoin centric. Um, but, you know, we also had, you know, people like Marty Bent going at um, some mining companies that also mined Ethereum and other um, shit coins that uh, were kind of telling them like, hey, you know, if you want to go uh, against this Bitcoin or this ESG narrative and, and uh, other things like you got to go against the regulation and you got to make it stop eventually and kind of quit bending the knees. So, I mean, at the end of the day, there's always going to be Bitcoiners like at these things that are going to kind of speak up and have like the louder voices. Um, but uh, the shitcoin voices there definitely got a little bit louder than I had noticed in the past. So um, that was one thing that was a little discouraging. But I mean, at the same time, you know, I got connected with a lot of people that um, I got connected with a lot of people that I you know connected with over Twitter. Uh, of course, we got, uh, you know, Justin from the Rocket City uh, Bitcoin meetup that, uh, you know, I think he's in, he's in the crowd here as well. And that's how we got introduced. Um, so yeah, if you're in the Huntsville area or anything like that, be sure to check them out. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, like I said, it, it's good to, to meet all these people, but, um, yeah, the, the shit coinery was a little discouraging to say the least. Yeah. I, I kind of saw that in some of the comments and it, I guess that's, it's definitely unfortunate. Um, and, and yeah, like you're, you're probably going to see some of the big exchanges, like help sponsor some of these events and stuff. So they're going to be involved. And then, yeah, I, I think the way they make a lot of money, I mean, obviously they end up making money by listing new coins because that generates trading volume. And so who cares if it tanks, right? The, the exchange still gets to make some money off of it because that means, you know, things are trading and they're taking a percentage of that. So it, it's unfortunate that they have an incentive to like list that kind of stuff on their platforms. Um, I'm hoping, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm hoping over time people realize like the general trend for all of that is it just goes down, right? Like you, some will spike for a while. I mean, Ethereum has been popular for a little bit, but um, it's getting so complex. Even the devs are kind of raising red flags in some cases where it's like saying, look, this is getting too complex. We can't maintain this. It's it's not headed in a very like sustainable direction the design is just getting to where it, it's going to be i don't know difficult to maintain this type of of growth in the code base over time um which then hurts exchanges too because things start getting even more complex right it increases the chances of a bug you've seen i mean with all of the stuff built on top of ethereum like there's probably a hack a couple times a week where somebody wrote a smart contract incorrectly and lost millions of dollars or accidentally locked up money for like you know 5,000 years or something. I heard it, there was a case where that happened. And so I, I think that's why things, the base layer needs to stay simple. And it's another good argument for why, you know, we need to start with Bitcoin and then build on top of it rather than building just a ridiculously complex layer one and then try and make it handle every single use case possible. It's just, that, that just seems like a terrible design and a bad path to go if you're trying to build something that's going to last, you know, hundreds or thousands of years. Um, it, it's better to start simple and build off of that. Oh, definitely for sure. And I mean, I you're speaking, you're preaching to the choir right here, so I couldn't agree more, but uh, yeah. So uh, Bitcoin has always kind of been, I guess, known as uh, an inflation hedge. So although this isn't directly related to Bitcoin, uh, let's get into the recent uh, CPI print in March. So uh, the numbers were released, uh, I believe yesterday or the day before, of CPI of 8.5%. And, uh, you know, for anybody following at home, uh, I'm sure you know that inflation isn't just 8.5%. It's definitely a lot more. Um, we'll get into some of the specific numbers here. Um, this is all from the Fed as well. So fuel oil up 70.1%, uh, gasoline up 48 energy commodities up 483 uh, energy as a whole up 32%. Um, you know, some new vehicles up 12.5%, uh, and then used cars up 35.3%. Uh, food away from home, which is always an interesting one, up uh, 6.9%. Or fruit at home, I'm sorry, up 10%. So, um, you know, it seems like almost anything you need to uh, live is uh, up a lot more than 8.5%, but the reported number is... 8.5%. Um, so what do you think of, I guess, uh, Bitcoin overall as an inflation hedge? Do you think that it's still kind of viewed this way in the United States? 
or do you think uh i guess the utility like uh becoming a legal tender and uh the work that you know strikes doing uh with its ability to you know send dollars from me to you but using the lightning network is kind of uh making it more i guess uh more of a utility opposed to just an inflation hedge yeah so i think bitcoin has always been a very good theoretical inflation hedge just because of its properties. Um, I, I don't think in the past it has acted as a great inflation hedge. It's, I mean, it's grown a lot, but it's grown more like a speculative asset that has huge growth potential because it does, as opposed to sort of being a stable place to go stick money when inflation is going up. Um, so I, I, I think it'll become... So I, I think even though it is an inflation hedge, that's not really how it's primarily used. I don't think people invest in it because it is a good inflation hedge, even though it theoretically is. I think that's going to change over time as the Bitcoin issuance rate decreases and as it sort of stabilizes. I, I believe we're still early on in a big growth phase, but I think if you look you know, 30, 50, 100 years down the road, um, there's a, a better chance that Bitcoin is far more stable than it is today. And at that point, it becomes more of an inflation hedge type investment as opposed to more of a investment for um, growth. So I, I, yeah, like I said, I, I think it's a good theoretical inflation hedge. And I think it's fantastic that we have an alternative currency that is not like a fiat currency that's just sort of um, dictate or not dictated exactly, but created by a government that controls it. Um, I mean, if, if you look just a little bit into the Federal Reserve and realize your government can just sort of print money whenever they want. Um, it it d doesn't seem like a great system. Like it, it, they they just get to invent it, um, you know, along with politicians spending money and handing out checks to people. And like th there is no backing. It used to be backed by gold and, and it's not anymore. And there are no rules about how it is printed, how it is created. There's just a, a group of sort of unelected people that get to decide how much they create and where it goes first. Um, and so I don't, I don't think that's a very good system or a very fair system when, you know, banks are allowed to just borrow money from the Fed and you need licenses and regulations and you have to be like a banker that, you know, has a whole lot of power and there's only a subset of them that are basically authorized by the government in the first place to be able to do that, right? It's, it's not a fair system when only a subset of people have the ability to go create money out of thin air and then loan it to someone. Like if I wanted to ask the Fed for money for my own mortgage, like they wouldn't do, they, they would look at me like I'm crazy, but a bank can go ask the Fed for money to then go back someone else's mortgage. And, and it's like, okay, well, you know, it, that's not a good system when certain people have like a set of privileges, specifically money printing or borrowing money at a, a certain interest rate um, that, that other people don't. And then if you go back and look at sort of the 2008 financial crisis, all of those, the banks can go take risks and then they just know, well, if we screw up real bad, people are just going to bail us out. And so the fact that there's a system where like everyone isn't sort of playing at the same level isn't it. It's not a good one, in my opinion. And so um, Bitcoin helps sort of level that playing field because everyone has the exact same opportunity to go become a miner or run their own node or invest in the currency. It's a level playing field where you know how much there's going to be. There's an algorithmic issuance rate. Um, it, it just seems like a much better solution and a, a better system than than you know what you have with governments around the world where they just get to decide i'm going to print some money today and it's effectively like a, a you know a tax that doesn't even go through any sort of congress or other system they just get to you know decide how much exists and do one-time taxes on people over and over and over and over again um and then a lot of that ends up leading to inflation which then just you know um, increases people's costs and makes it you know even harder for people to live which ends up hurting you know the middle class and, and lower classes, it reduces economic mobility uh, so that people can't move up. And it absolutely makes it more difficult for especially younger people and people going through college and school. When they get out, it's very hard for them to afford homes and, and sort of build a, you know, a financial nest egg that, you know, other people um, might already have. And it, it just prices people out of the market, which I also you know don't think is a very good thing. Oh, 100 percent. And I think, uh, you know, people are definitely starting to wake, in, wake up to the fact that, hey, like, you know, the government printed trillions of dollars. They handed us fourteen hundred dollar check and now we have to all deal with inflation. Um, mm -hmm. So 
Uh, yeah, and, and inflation's like hurting people well, well, uh, well worse than just this eight and a half percent, like like we're saying. Um, yeah, I'm in the Tampa, Florida area, and rents here I think have gone up. I think a reported forty percent in the past year. Um, so uh, I mean, you know, luckily I, I was blessed enough to to purchase a house uh, during this time, and and I have a duplex. I'm renting it out. Um, and I actually started Airbnb. Airbnb out half of it. So it's helped me out a little bit. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I have plenty of friends and, and family who live in Tampa and in Austin, um, where I grew up, where it's like these two places have been hit with such high rent inflation and, and housing that they're originally were going to wait until after COVID to maybe see housing, you know, come down. And now they're just coming to terms where they, they can't even buy houses, just like kind of like you're saying. So um, I think rent uh, inflation definitely hurts, hurts the lower and uh, middle class a lot worse than obviously the, the upper class who has a lot of these investable assets. And, you know, I think that's definitely a place where Bitcoin can help, um, whether that's, you know, using it as a inflation hedge or just, you know, having Bitcoin as as legal tender because, you know, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, as, uh, as they say. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll see some change and hopefully this. Um, you know, although it's it's a negative in the short term, maybe it'll accelerate uh, Bitcoin becoming legal tender in the United States a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. All right, now let's get into the next story. So um, Tesla and Block and Blockstream are now teaming up for Bitcoin mining. So last year in Bitcoin Miami 2021, Block and Blockstream, then Square, that was before Jack uh, Dorsey left Twitter, announced uh, that they were going to team up and create a sustainable Bitcoin miner. And then this year they announced that Blockstream and Block will be using the Tesla solar powered battery in order to power the Bitcoin miner. Um, So now Block is using, uh, is teaming up with Blockstream using Intel's ASIC mining chip and Tesla's solar powered battery to create a Bitcoin miner. So what do you think about all these? Uh, I guess it seems like a lot of these big companies, uh, maybe not necessarily that have been into Bitcoin mining previously, uh, all kind of teaming up and joining forces to get into Bitcoin mining. So I think it's really good. I think it shows that some of the like large players are interested in, in getting into this and it helps bring it further into the mainstream. Um, and their solution is really interesting. I, I, I don't think... Um, you mentioned like the whole ESG narrative. And I, I think this gives a good counterpoint to the people who do buy into that and think, okay, everything must be like hundred percent renewable. I'm, I'm not sure if solar power with battery backup is the best energy solution. I'm not an energy expert, but um, I, I do think it gives a really good counterpoint to the people who do buy into that. Um, I, I think like, you know, uh, hydroelectric power would be very good as well. I, I think I read somewhere that there's some hydroelectric locations up in Canada that could basically power the entire Bitcoin network. So I, I think there are solutions out there um, that, you know, we, would give us a whole lot more power. And, and I don't like the whole narrative that you must use less power. I, I think that's sort of seeing it from an incorrect or, or a backwards perspective. I think power use should be encouraged. So that way we can find ways to, like just generate more power and and like the the only way humanity is going to continue increasing and building things is by using power that's available and you know the sort of the non-renewable energy sources there's a finite amount of them we're going to have to like come up with other solutions anyway so using things like nuclear power and solar power and hydroelectric power we're going to have to use them um and so I, i think it's really interesting that people are starting to look into that and um i it gives a a good uh, like I said, it gives a good counterexample to the people who like say oh, proof of work is terrible because it uses power. I, I don't think it's bad to use power, especially if it's going to like protect the ideally, hopefully one day, one, like one of the largest monetary systems in the world. Um, and when people go do all the math and divide out, oh, you know, Bitcoin uses this much power. One transaction costs two thousand dollars or whatever ridiculous number they come up. With. It's just it's a it's a false narrative. And they're just trying to generate sort of bad publicity for Bitcoin. Um, no one would ever like, you know, do the same thing for like, oh, 
you could divide the average gas for a road and say we shouldn't build roads anymore because people drive cars on them and that's a terrible thing. So like nobody would ever do something like that because everyone just accepts you have to drive a car to go get places, to go places. I, I think eventually you'd kind of see Bitcoin the same way. Like the security of the network is important and that just has a cost associated with it. So let's find the most efficient way to generate power, um, whether it is, you know, hydroelectric or solar or um, nuclear or whatever else we can come up with. I think, um, you know, a hundred years from now, I, I doubt this is even going to be a concern because there's probably going to be such amazing technological advances in power generation um, that, that stressing about it now and trying to, you know, put regulations on companies and pushing this whole ESG narrative is just not, um, it, it's, it's a way to punish companies that they don't like. I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with actually, you know, benefiting anyone. It's just, it provides a narrative for them to go try and attack, you know, companies and things like Bitcoin that, that they're not a fan of. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, a lot of these companies too, they, they use like excess, excess energy. Um, mm -hmm. So whether it's like the great American mining company, like a lot of these companies are using like flare off gas from oil rigs and, and things like that too. So that's technically not a part of this, you know, ESG, but it's wasted energy mm -hmm. that would just be flared off into the atmosphere as, as well. So, um, I think, you know, Bitcoin FUD kind of comes in cycles, uh, at least from what I noticed. There's like, you know, a list of things. Governments can ban it. Um, you know, it uses too much energy. It's used by criminals. Um, it's just kind of cyclical. You know, they'll, they'll kind of come at it for once and then, you know, people will kind of forget it. And uh, then, you know, a couple of years down the road, it'll, it'll come back up again and it'll be a big, a big narrative as well. So, um I, I just think it's interesting, you know, as far as like this story specific gets is that Block uh, announced a while ago that they were, you know, hiring engineers to start to build their own Bitcoin miner. And then they're now they're it seems like they're teaming up with a lot of different companies uh, to get into it. So um, it's kind of interesting to me that seeing, you know, Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter um, and then kind of uh, instead of. I guess, spending a lot of money and capital to develop their own Bitcoin miner. They're kind of teaming up with a lot of players who have expertise in various parts um, that, that that would be needed to, um, you know, develop this Bitcoin miner instead of just mm -hmm. you know, developing it on their own, you know, which could be a good and a bad thing, you know, whether the, the reliance on other companies could be viewed as bad in some way, but, you know, if they all can play nice and work together, um, you know, it, it, it obviously gets a lot of these big players involved in it, in it together. So um, overall, I think it, it's good for Bitcoin network as a whole, obviously getting more miners in there and, and finding a way to make it sustainable. And I think, uh, you know, maybe using solar power or what, um, you know, could be good too. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how effective this is. And uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, there's a lot of places in Canada too that, that they can mm -hmm. use that various hydroelectric uh, power as well. And, you know, if you ever are interested in learning about Bitcoin mining, you should go over to the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast. Um, we're, we're good friends with them, or I'm good friends with uh, Joey and Len there. And they have a lot of uh, Bitcoin mining companies on there that go and explain the ins and outs of their businesses. So uh, a lot of can Canadian based ones as well. So, uh, but yeah. Oh, you had a really good point just a minute ago about how like Bitcoin can be using power that wouldn't otherwise be used. Like one of the cool things is, you know, Bitcoin or power, historically, it's used in places where there's a huge demand for power, like, you know, the middle of a, a large city or something. You're, you're powering, um, you know, factories or you're powering skyscrapers or whatever. You've got to have power there. But with Bitcoin, it, it, it's almost the opposite of that. You don't need to have the power in the high cost places because power is going to be most expensive in the locations where there's very high demand. You can go create a power plant where there is no demand and generate your own power that's just for the Bitcoin network. It wouldn't be used otherwise, but then via the internet, you can transfer the Bitcoin that's been generated anywhere. I mean, theoretically, you could lower the cost of power around the world by going to locations where power is incredibly inexpensive to generate and then sort of like uh, subsidize the, the high cost of power locations because you're generating so much money in other low cost of power generating places. You'll still have to generate the power where the demand is, but it doesn't. that doesn't mean it has to be more expensive. And I think that's something you could see if like large power companies start getting into Bitcoin mining. They, they can, you know, 
it, that would provide another source of revenue for them that will help like even out the cost of power in certain locations because they just have a whole other potential revenue stream coming in. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of these companies too, especially like you're saying or earlier, we were talking about inflation, you know, supply chains. A lot of these companies are kind of feeling the effect of, you know, just overall loss of profit or they're going to have to raise prices and, you know, put, uh, you know, whether you believe that, that there's a pending uh, recession or not, uh, you know, a lot of these companies are going to try to find ways to make more profit uh, just because of the supply chain issues and increased cost. And what better way to do it than just to, you know, use this excess energy to mine Bitcoin. So mm -hmm. uh, whether they're selling it or what, I mean, we're seeing large oil and gas companies like ExxonMobil and ConocoPhillips selling their flare off gases. So, um a lot, a lot of big companies are getting into the Bitcoin mining space, whether they're doing it themselves or selling it off. Um, you know, it, it just seems more and more encouraging as far as the Bitcoin mining space yeah. goes. And, and I think this ties back into uh, sort of indirectly a good reason to run a node and why proof of work is so important. Because you saw, I think it was yesterday, Mozilla announced that like, they're not going to accept donations or something like that in um, proof of work cryptocurrencies anymore. And so... Uh, Bitcoin, of course, was in included in that. And it sounded like, you know, they just bought into this like false energy narrative. Um, but I mean, when you compare proof of work to proof of stake, there are huge problems with proof of stake. Like the the monetary, the, the incentives of, um, you know, just buying currency now gives you control over it, which really isn't a whole lot different than, you know, any sort of relatively unfair system you might have today where, you know, the Federal Reserve just gets to print the money. Like you, you could theoretically, the largest owner of Ethereum could, I mean, they, they do and can just dictate the issuance rate of Ethereum. So you're trusting the owners and, and um, it allows someone to just come in. And if you have a lot of money or if a country were to print a lot of money and buy a, a large chunk of a proof of work currency, they now have control over it. But with a proof of work system, they wouldn't. Somebody can go buy a whole bunch of Bitcoin but, you know, they don't that doesn't mean they end up having control over the Bitcoin network. They don't get to change the rules. So uh, that, that's why proof of work, I think, is so important, because you have the people who are investing in the currency for monetary gain or whatever reason they want to hold Bitcoin for. Um, you have the miners who sort of generate the transactions, but they don't just get to make the rules either, because you have this whole other set of nodes that are validating the transactions and sharing them around. So. If the miners and nodes don't agree on the transactions that should be included or the rule set for Bitcoin, there ends up being a problem there. And it, it almost creates like a set of checks and balances between, you know, Bitcoin owners and um, miners and people running nodes. And that's why it's so important to run a node, because you help provide some of that. Um, you, you help participate in that system of checks and balances, um, along with all the other benefits of, you know, it, it's much more private. It, it provides a foundation for running all of the other applications, the second layer applications like Lightning and, you know, chat applications or storefront applications or mixing tools or, you know, Bitcoin explorers or all the other things you might want to use. Um, it, there's just a huge number of advantages to sort of running a node and, you know, helping participate in that, you know, uh, checks and balance system, I think is, is a pretty important one. Yeah, for sure. And it, like you said, it lets anybody essentially get into that uh, you know, checks and balances system, no matter how much BTC you have or own. So um, I think that's always, you know, great for, for everybody that wants to be, you know, included. Like you said, it's not just the giant whales that kind of dictate the network, which is kind of seemingly how it is right now in our current financial system. So, um, yeah, let's move on to the next story. So we have uh, Janet Yellen. So she's been, um, you know, getting her fair share of criticism and I believe rightfully so, you know, on, on the way she's kind of handled uh, the money printing situation and everything like that. But she, I believe it was like a keynote or, or, or something along those lines, but she kind of went up there and she explained Bitcoin uh, surprisingly pretty well. It seems like she read the white paper and uh, yeah, I, I'd like to see, did, did you by chance see this talk? And, uh, and I want to hear your thoughts on it before I get into my little rant. So um, I, I didn't actually see it. I looked up some of the highlights afterwards and I'd, I'd heard the same thing, that it was relatively accurate. And I looked at some of her points and, you know, I think I might agree with one of them, but the rest of them I kind of disagreed with. Um, so well, yeah, why don't you go ahead and go first and then, and then maybe I'll comment on two or three things. 
Yeah, so uh, I'm I, I'm not going to get into I guess her specific points, but uh, so if you want to do that afterwards, you can. But basically, I I think it's it's somewhat of a positive because it it shows that uh, you know government officials, at least in the United States, are trying to understand Bitcoin, which I think is the the biggest thing. And uh, once they start to understand Bitcoin. I think that they'll start to understand the differences between Bitcoin and crypto. And then once they start to understand that differences, and then maybe they see some of these other smaller cryptos, I guess, rug pull or, um, you know, figure out that maybe they're, they're Ponzi schemes or something along those lines that uh, they'll understand that it's it's Bitcoin and only only Bitcoin. The only, you know, cautionary tale I would I would say is, you know, I'm, I'm usually very cautious when it comes to politicians. Um and Janet Yellen, unfortunately, you know, she makes a lot of uh, a lot of policies that affect a lot of us, um, whether it's, you know, the money printing and inflation and things like that. Um, but uh, she's not an elective official. She's, uh, you know, put into power um, by, you know, the president and, and others. Um, and so I think uh, she makes a lot of decisions that that don't that affect a lot of people. But, you know, we don't really get a say. Um, and so I think she's she's kind of starting to listen to the people in this, or at least the people are getting loud enough voices where they're getting to, to enough politicians where they're bringing Bitcoin to the forefront, where now it's getting to her. Um, and so in that sense, I believe it's encouraging. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm always cautious that maybe she's just doing this to to please some people. Um and uh, I know that there was an executive order, you know, that Biden passed not too long ago about um, having like starting research into Bitcoin and uh, CBDCs and crypto, although that executive order mentioned Bitcoin zero times and uh, CBDCs. I, I can't remember the exact number, but but quite a bit. Um, so um, I think it's encouraging that, that there, she's starting to educate, but I'm also very cautious that it's that, uh, you know, maybe she she might under misunderstand and that could lead to potential overregulation. Um, but I guess time will tell. And uh, I, I mean, it's definitely encouraging to see that she's, you know, at least becoming starting to become knowledgeable. Yeah. yeah. So I I'm, might be a little bit torn because I think as they start to understand Bitcoin better and realize it's not something that's just going to go away, which I think a lot of politicians hoped a long time ago. I mean, they, they thought, uh oh, this Bitcoin might not be a great thing. You know, we don't we don't like competition when it comes to our currency. Maybe it'll just go away. And I think they're now starting to realize it's not just going to disappear. It's going to kind of keep growing. So, yeah, now we need to act like we understand it and, you know, play that game so that, OK, we we might need to regulate it. And I, I'm convinced there are some people that understand it relatively well. Um Maybe not everybody. Of course, not everybody. I mean, the average politician probably has no idea what you know Bitcoin is, but um, I, I think they do understand it and they're still potentially trying to figure out what to do. Like the executive order, they're saying they're going to look into regulating it and trying to, you know, just kind of see what we want to do. And it didn't mention Bitcoin specifically, but, um, you know, maybe that means they, you know, create their own CBDC or something because they probably see advantages in that from their perspective, but not in, in Bitcoin exactly. And I think in general, they definitely don't want competition against the dollar. Um, and, and you're seeing a lot of that from Bitcoin or other foreign currencies. Um, you know, the dollar just appears to be getting less popular. But when it comes to Janet Yellen, her, her recent speech, um, it seemed like she kind of understood it. But at the same time, there were some some things in there that it seemed like she might not. Um, her first point that I kind of agreed with was I think she said something about, you know, regulation needs to be tech neutral. And I very much agree with that. I think regulation in general needs to be very light handed and absolutely tech neutral. The whole picking winners and losers thing is not something, you know, the government needs to be involved in. They shouldn't regulate something extra hard because, um, you know, they just they, they don't like this or they don't like the founders or they don't like the technology for whatever reason. They need to stay as neutral as possible in general. Um, I'm not sure if she believes that, but she said it. And I, I would uh, I agree with that statement. Um, I, I think where she might have missed the mark the most is she said, we've seen this before. And she started talking about other technological advances, which all have absolutely happened. Um, you know, the Internet enabled a lot. ATMs enabled a lot. You know, uh, credit cards, um, 
you know, like Jack Mahler's mentioned and kind of went through the history of all that in his presentation, it, a lot of things have been changing, but at the same time, a lot of things haven't. So it is, all of those still were the U.S. dollar. They made it easier to move around. The Internet made it a lot easier to transfer and open up accounts with like whatever financial institution you care about. We have smartphones where we can send money to each other and we have, you know, you can take a picture of a check and deposit it. Like technology has gotten much, much, much better. But those all still were U.S. dollar based where I think she missed the mark is this is not like any of those. Bitcoin is not like any of those because it gives an alternative that is not the U.S. dollar. We're building technology to make something better on sort of a separate system that is not in their control because they still had control of the money supply that whole time. They still had control of the currency that whole time with all previous technological advancements. And in some cases, their control may have gotten better with you know, the internet and some of those things, because now all of those funds are being, cash is a lot, it's used a lot less frequently, which is probably the only thing they couldn't really see um, because they didn't know where people were making cash transactions and, and things like that. So I, I think this technological change is vastly different than everything we've seen over the past hundred years with technology and money. Um, the other thing I think she mentioned was like, she said, um, I, I, her point might've been an okay one. Cause she said, you know, the 2008 and nine financial crisis was caused by new technology, which I, I disagree with that. But I think her point was we need to make sure we protect people, um, from, you know, some of this new technology and make sure people don't get like rug pulled basically. And I, I agree with that. Absolutely. And that kind of goes back to your point. They might start seeing a difference between Bitcoin and, all like altcoins and everything else and NFTs and just all of that stuff. Um, and, and I think there should be a distinction between Bitcoin and all of the other things. And, you know, I, I think the government also probably has to get quite a bit better at chasing down, um, you know, criminal when, when a company pretends to be a company, but then basically rug pulls everybody or a group of people on the internet create something that everyone invests in and then they run off with the money. I mean, those are crimes and they're legitimate crimes and they, they need to be, investigated because you know that that isn't bitcoin and i feel like a lot of people conflate the two they they don't really understand there's a distinction there or even when they say like an exchange got hacked and then they say oh that's that's bad for bitcoin well that has nothing to do with bitcoin you know that is that's an exchange and um some criminals were able to go get access to funds that weren't theirs those are all absolutely crimes um but i also don't think the financial crisis and this is a bit off topic maybe i don't think the financial crisis was caused by new technology necessarily. I, I think it, uh, the root cause of a lot, well, there were maybe several root causes, but a, a ton of it came down to a government failure of rating the mortgage-backed securities as these like highly rated investment tools that were providing like outrageously disproportionate returns. And they were rated like A plus securities or A or A minus, whatever they were. Um, but they were effectively like, you know, a a pile of garbage. I mean, they, they, they took all these like terrible loans, bundled them together and said, this is a super secure investment. And I mean, it, it was, you know, the ratings agencies that were, you know, going around and stamping the approval on, on those securities. And, and that's why they ended up getting into people's retirement funds and, and everywhere else. And I don't, I don't think that had anything to do with new technology. I think that was basically a, a failure on, you know, the, the regulators not doing their job and, uh, and everybody just blindly trusted them and said, because that was, that's the way the system worked. The system was based on trust and you just had to trust these other, this, this group of people. And so people started investing in things that were highly rated, but giving incredible returns. And everybody thought this is fantastic. And so um, then of course it failed because it was a terrible investment, uh, like under the hood. And a few people realized that, I guess, but um, it was actually a terrible investment. And I think it had that has nothing to do with technology. I think that was just a failure. It, it was a failure of a system that had been based on, you know, trusting third parties, which Bitcoin is sort of the opposite of that. It says, you know, people get to take control of their own investments. And it, um, I think that's also a better system because when you just are blindly trusting people, you know, bad things can happen. And that's what we saw in like 2008 and 2009. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, uh, you know, we might be seeing uh I don't know, maybe something along those lines uh, coming up here soon. I, I mean, I, I have another podcast where I, I talk to a lot of macro guys and they 
kind of see, I, I guess, maybe a, a short recession coming, um, or at least some of them do. Um, but I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see what, what kind of happens in the next uh, few months here. Because I think, uh, you know, right now we're like in midterm election time. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see like maybe some more stimulus or, or something else rolled out just to kind of get people on the on the voter side and, and are, are on the, you know, current party party in power side just to, you know, say like, Hey, you know, well, an inflation's tough. So here's more money. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe like counting on the fact that they don't understand that, uh, you know, this is going to hurt them farther down the line. So I don't know. I mean, overall, like, like you're saying, I think that she's starting to kind of understand, but there's still some points in there that uh, she doesn't fully understand, uh, you know, everything about, uh, you know, Bitcoin and everything along those lines. But you know, I, I guess time will kind of tell on how she reacts with everything. So, um, yeah. Now let's get into the next one. So it's another, it's a different country, but uh, along the same lines of, uh, of along the same lines of, uh, you know, regulatory aspects of Bitcoin. So Brazil is gearing up for a bill uh, for Bitcoin approval. Uh, so although this bill is not mentioning Bitcoin as legal tender, it's giving the Brazilian president authority to decide which government entity will oversee the regulatory framework around Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So the president will kind of have the option now to create either a new regulatory body or assign the oversight to the central bank of Brazil. So um, did you catch this story and, and what did you think about uh you know, I guess government's now kind of deciding whether or not um, to create a regulatory body based on digital currencies, or do you think that they should kind of, uh, I guess, give it into more of these legacy systems and just kind of force them to figure it out? Yeah, so I had, I'd seen the headlines uh, for this. And when I looked a little bit more into it, I thought, it was more of like a pro Bitcoin bill. But then when I started looking, the deeper I got into it, it really does seem like it's a little bit more hands off and almost sounds to some extent similar to the executive order that, that, you know, Biden signed. Um, And basically it's a, Hey, we need to look into this and start, make sure somebody is responsible for any regulations we want going forward. But it's not very specific as to how he wants to regulate it or how, what they want to do with it. It's more like, Let's try and figure out where this fits. So maybe it's good that it's at least like recognizing that this is a thing and it's going to be here and it'll be around for a long time. It might be good from that perspective, but since I, I didn't at least see any very specific regulations that were being mentioned, I don't know if it'll be good for it or not. It, it could come in and be way too heavy handed regulation or it, it you know could be good in the sense that they just say something like, well, we're going to treat it as property. And, you know, I, I think something like that and just treating it as sort of a more legacy system, I think would be best for Bitcoin. Um, I, I probably do think that like when it comes to like corporate issued tokens, that that falls more into a, a legacy system that like the SEC would need to look into. And and it in a lot of cases, it is sort of like those companies are issuing shares. So I, I think maybe in some of those cases, there should be a bit more regulation. But when it comes to Bitcoin, I think it, it needs to be very, very hands off or as hands off as possible. But it needs to be treated as property because, you know, if people you know steal it or something happens to it, like it needs to be acknowledged as like that is a thing. Because um, in the early days of Bitcoin, I'm sure if you like, you know, tried to call the police and say, hey, like somebody they would just look at you like you're crazy. Like, I don't know what that is. That. You're lying to me, man. And like that, that, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And so I think it needs to be acknowledged to some extent. Absolutely. But um, not, you know, overregulated or, or especially like banned or put into special categories where only certain people can use it or um, regulations around like the whole hosted versus unhosted wallet argument. I mean, I think that's ridiculous. There, everyone should be able to create their own wallet and hold their keys. And so um, I, I think there's a potential for overregulating, but I'm not sure what Brazil is going to end up doing. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think Bitcoin's becoming too big, where governments are not going to, uh, you know, put any regulations on it whatsoever. They're they're all going to try to regulate it or put something around it or put some you know legal framework in it um, at some point in time. So 
Um, you know, I, th I agree with you. I kind of, I want to see governments take the more hands-off approach. Um, but, you know, I think more, more governments will kind of try to, I guess, put their hands into it at first, whether it's regulating companies that are involved in the Bitcoin space or, or something along those lines. Um, and generally speaking, I'm pretty skeptical when it comes to politicians getting involved with Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, like I said before, I think it's uh, regulation and political involvement. It's, it's somewhat inevitable at this point. So um, as long as countries embrace it, I think that countries that countries that embrace it and Bitcoin will prosper. The ones that don't embrace it, you know, I think Bitcoin will be just fine. Uh, but the countries might not fare as well. So I think, uh, you know, this law, I, I don't know. I mean, I thought, like you said, at first glance, it was more of a pro Bitcoin story. But you know, after digging into it, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. We'll see how how much they want to regulate it. I know a lot of countries in South America are kind of experiencing uh, extreme, extreme inflation. And uh, I hope, um, you know, for for these countries in South America that they kind of determine that Bitcoin is an answer and a solution. Um, I know, uh, you know, Argentina has been very, uh, you know, big in the news on, on how big their inflation has been in their country. So, um, you know, I, I just imagine countries like that, uh, you know, need to, to start to embrace it opposed to um, reject it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I Like I said, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how Bitcoin plays out. I know we had Bukele, predict earlier this year that he thinks i i want to say that he thought that three more countries would make bitcoin legal tender um or two to two to three or something along those lines so we'll see we haven't had any of them i guess officially make it legal tender just some cities here or there um so we'll see um if uh, brazil kind of makes it a little bit more Bitcoin friendly, but yeah, like, like I said, time will tell whether or not they, they regulate or over-regulate. Mm -hmm. All right. The last story. So Mexico's pro Bitcoin candidate, um, Senator Andiria Kempis, I'm sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, uh, introduces a bill for CBDC. Um, so, um, this is an interesting one because she's been very, very pro Bitcoin, and uh, she's even had the backing of uh, Samson Mao on Twitter, and uh, she's basically come out and said that the Mexico Central Bank is the only institution that can recognize a currency as legal tender. So our strategy is basically to stir up the discussion in Congress around digital currencies. And then continue to orange pill from there. And it's, uh, I, I think it's like an interesting strategy. We'll see if she's genuine. Um, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners believe she is. And, you know, of course she has the backing of Samson Mao. And he, and he's even come out and said that he believes that the CBDC will open the door for financial inclusion and a legal tender, dis, uh, a legal tender discussion around Bitcoin. But, you know, uh, Bitcoiners as a whole, I, and I think, uh, you know, myself included, think C I think CBDCs are just, you know, basically way, 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 way worse than, than our current financial system. And uh, it'll cause well, well more uh, regulation on, you know, whatever you're spending your money on. So um, I personally hope that this bill is as a Trojan horse as they describe it, but um, I guess, what are your thoughts on like this strategy of introducing a CBDC to kind of try to orange pill people or orange pill uh, governments? I don't get it. Um, I, I don't think starting with some, and this is the story that I kind of knew the least about, but based on what you've said, the fact that a pro Bitcoin candidate is trying to introduce a CBDC bill doesn't sound right to me. Um, like I said, I think if, if a country were to actually issue a CBDC and it became popular among the population, the, the amount or it opens the door for so much abuse um, from the government's point of view, like they could just decide you're not allowed to spend money here anymore. I mean, basically it, it's opens up the door so that everything is a, 
sort of a Chinese communist social credit type system. Like, you know, you, you spent too much money here. We don't like that anymore. All the, all of that could be tracked by a CBDC. And they would say, you know, you, you spent too much money eating out this month. You spent too much money on gas this month. Um, you're, you're a, a, you know, a bad citizen. You're, you know, burning too much fossil fuel. So we've got to stop you. You're only allowed to, you know, spend $200 on gas a month or a hundred dollars on gas a month. And so what if you can't get to work? Um, it opens the door for those types of things that sound crazy, but you know, 10 years ago, a lot sounded crazy and we're seeing it all the day. So um, I, I just wouldn't want to create a system where there's that much power in the hands of, you know, a very limited group of people. And that's what it seems like any sort of CBDC bill would end up allowing. So the fact that a pro Bitcoin candidate introduced that something just doesn't seem right there. And maybe I'm missing some context or someone has said something that that clarifies it all. But I don't know. Um, that doesn't sit right with me. If anybody if you know or anybody does know, please let me know, because something something doesn't sound right about that. Yeah, I I mean, the more I, I've looked into this story, too, it's the same same kind of deal with me is like I, I I'm always one that's super skeptical of politicians. So even if one that you know, seems somewhat genuine, uh, just the fact that they're introducing this seems seems like, you know, a little hairy to me, to say the least, because um, like you said, it's just like overregulation. You know, they could shut off your money supply at like 3 a.m., for instance, say like, mm -hmm. all right. You know, nothing good happens after this time or nothing good happens, you know, set a certain curfew. You can't, uh, you know, use money after, you know, a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. You've been gambling too much. You've been spending too much on food. Like you, then it's just, OK, well, you know, people don't really have freedom to spend their money on whatever they'd like. Um, and that gets really uh, that that can turn society into a really bad way, you know, yeah. and, then you, and you really have the whole big brother situation going on. And that's really as far as what we want from as far as, uh, you know, Bitcoin goes. So um, like you said, I, I, I think it's it's odd that that they're using this to kind of uh, start to orange pill people. But um, I, I guess we'll see if it if it ends up working. Um, I think this is one of those that I'm going to start trying to follow a little bit closer because of, uh, you know, all the implications that go on. And you know, Mexico is definitely really close to the United States. So if they start implementing a CBDC down there, um, hopefully nothing like that. Uh, I, obviously, like, you know, Mexican in policies don't really tend to influence the United States. But, um, you know, maybe the, the we've seen the United States kind of go against uh, – go against El Salvador uh, introducing Bitcoin as legal tender. So maybe uh, they'll applaud Mexico for introducing a CBDC and, and decide like that's maybe that's something that they want to do. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I don't, I don't agree with it, but if it ends up, you know, working as they somewhat say it that they wanted to do uh, by like orange pilling people, maybe th then it's worth it. But I'm still like, very skeptical that it, it might actually work and go through and then and then they have a cbdc i i feel like it's a big risk to take absolutely yeah yeah i don't see the strategy if it works out good i guess but yeah i'm not i'm not seeing it yeah for sure all right now we've come to the end of the show taylor thanks so much for your time here i really appreciate it um why don't you uh sign us off and tell tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find the information on my note yeah, well, thanks again for having me. Um, it was awesome to be on. And you can find uh, more information about MyNode on Twitter at um, MyNodeBTC and um, online at MyNodeBTC.com. All right, perfect. And then, yeah, you can find everything uh, like that on his Twitter account. You can find me on Twitter at GreenCandleIT. Like, share, and subscribe. And uh, give Taylor a follow and go check out MyNode. Taylor, thank you so much. Thanks.